is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Hello and welcome back to this episode of FUVFC, our first since May 4th. It has been a little while. It is me, James Burley, alongside my good friend, Nick Guzman, your partners in soccer. I just stole that from the MLS Extra Time podcast. Please do not copyright this. Nick, how are you, my man? I'm doing good. This podcast, we've a little bit of changing of the guard in the last few weeks. Keenan and Michael have gone on to bigger and better things. So now we're kind of the seniority around these parts. Got to keep this thing up and running. But, you know, we're at the tail end of the season, the season that's felt like a European season that I feel like has been going on for forever. I, I think about some of the things that happened in the fall. And, you know, Ronaldo being on Manchester United, Thomas Tuchel being in charge of Chelsea, Pochettino being in charge of Spurs, all those things feel like they were so long ago, but just the nature of the World Cup break and it's finally coming to an end. But so much exciting stuff to talk about. Yeah, this was a jam-packed year of football uh, on the European calendar with a World Cup in the way. And, you know, we didn't know what that would be like. And now that it's uh, behind us, it is. it was certainly an interesting year. Um, we are doing a little bit of a preview episode. There's going to be an episode later this week as we sort of pass the torch down to some new guards here at FUVFC. Like you mentioned, Nick, we want to say congrats to Michael Hernandez and Keenan Troy, both uh, the the senior members of this podcast. They carried the torch for a while. It's our turn. And you're going to hear later this week from Gino Alva about some more European stuff. But we'll start in Germany with the Bundesliga in what was shaping up to be perhaps the tightest race going into the final match day among any top five league really went the way that a lot of people didn't want it to go as Jamal Musiala scores a late, late goal to put Bayern ahead of Dortmund. Dortmund failing to pick up three points at home against Mainz in their final match day. Gio Reyna off the bench, two assists, but not enough. That one, that one really sunk into the air, the heart, the arrow into the heart of a lot of the, uh, faithful over in Borussia Dortmund. Nick, what was your take on this whole thing? Because it was certainly crazy. 11 years in a row for Bayern. It it felt like the entire European soccer community, maybe besides Bayern Munich and maybe besides Schalke, were pulling for Borussia Dortmund just for some kind of parity in the Bundesliga. It's been, you know, you think about these, these one-team leagues, you know, go to League One, P- PSG, although you've had Lille win recently and you've had you know, earlier Monaco in 2017. So at least there's some parity there. In Italy was Juve for so long, but now Juve have fallen off with some, you know, financial problems. And it's been Milan and Inter Milan and now Napoli this year winning it. The Bundesliga, the last decade plus, it's been Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich, and more Bayern Munich. And there has not been 
a time in, in so long that, you know, team's been one game away from winning the title and, and Dortmund this season, I think flown under, under the radar a little bit. Um, you know, they got knocked out of Europe in the round of 16 against at the hands of Chelsea. And, you know, they had some, they've been scoring goals all season long and it's just been a, a very turbulent season for Bayern, you know, with the, the firing uh, and the bringing in of, of Thomas Tuchel and the firing of Julian Nagelsmann. Now Oliver Kahn is, is out as, as the leader over there at Bayern. And it's just been a time of instability. You feel like if there was ever a time for a different team to win the Bundesliga, it was it was Bruce Dortmund and it was on Saturday. At home, a bright sunny day in Dortmund, everybody ready for the for for them to bring it home. Jude Bellingham, who was just named Bundesliga player of the season, wasn't able to play due to injury. And even with that, you feel like Dortmund should have enough in their squad to to be able to win that match. And they just go down too early and there's the missed penalty in the first half from Haller. And then the rest of the game, you're just trying to get back into it, trying to get back into it. You know, you, you, you sub on Gio Reyna, you sub on Marco Royce and and all those players to try to change change things. I thought Julian Brandt, who's been terrific for Dortmund this season, had a little had a an off game. It was a really bad time for him to to not really show up and play at his sharpest. But I was impressed with Gio Reyna did when he came in. But you know, ultimately you you felt like when Dortmund got that goal around the 70th minute that maybe this would be a comeback for the ages. And then Byron conceded in their game, and you thought maybe Dortmund weren't going to have to to get the win. And then and then Byron gets that goal with about ten minutes to go, and that changes everything. You can't ask for a better situation going into the final day. You need to win against a mid-table team at home with your fans behind you, some of the best support in Europe, and you fall short. And I think the emotions after the game kind of speak worlds to to just how much it meant for for Dortmund. I saw I was seeing 15 minute long videos of the players just just laying on the field and not getting up and just being so defeated and dejected because this feels like if there was ever a time for a different team to win in the Bundesliga, it had to be this year with the instability at Bayern, with how well Dortmund's played, you know, down the stretch here in the Bundesliga. Seemed like all the cards were lining up for, you know, a big moment in this league and and it just didn't happen. And Bayern Munich are still that dominant force despite everything that's happened with their club this year. And I think that speaks a bit to the the greatness that that team has on the pitch, you know, with everything that went on with that club, when it felt like this would be the year where they wouldn't win the Bundesliga, they still go and do it. That's just who they are. It's in their blood. You can't count them out. And if you're Borussia Dortmund, any inch you give that team, they're going to take it. And that's just what happened. You have to feel for the players. You have to feel for that city. You have to feel for that remarkable group of fans that they have at the Signal Iduna Park, all of which stayed and applauded their team afterwards, which is great to see. Unfortunately, this happens a lot in world football. There was abuse directed at some of the players, as there often is when things don't go great. And that's never, never a good thing. It happened in Dortmund. It happened in Leeds United as well as we transition. We're not going to take away Gio's thunder. He's going to get to talk about the Premier League, but we are going to get to talk about some of our, our favorite Americans over there across the pond on that Leeds United team. Tyler Adams, Brendan Aronson, and Weston McKenney, all parts of that squad. Jesse Marsh, into the year, was the manager. Let go midway through the season. Didn't work out. McKenney going back to Juve. Aronson, his relegation clause is going to be invoked. And Tyler Adams, if he can get out of the hospital and play some football, 
We don't know where he's going to be next year. I think of all the teams I watched get relegated um, from the Premier League, including Leicester City, Leeds, for me at least, hit really hard at home. Nick, I'm wondering if it had the the same feeling for you. It did. This is a this is a Leeds team that I really have no affiliation towards besides the fact that they have three Americans. They had an American manager coming into this season. Uh, you know, it, it just hits home more when you think about Jesse Marsh and where he came from, coming from the Red Bulls, a team that is dear to both of our hearts, James. Tyler Adams, also a Red Bulls Academy product. It feels like that connection was sort of forged this season. And there were moments early on, you know, I think about that game against Chelsea at home where Brendan Aronson gets the gets that steal and, and with the tap in and I was like, oh my God, this is this is gonna be this is gonna be awesome. It's gonna be so much fun. And you think even in that fall, the the win away against Liverpool, there were moments this season for Leeds, but in the end, I think you look up and down this squad, it's just not good enough, particularly in defense to to survive at the Premier League level. And I don't think it's necessarily Jesse Marsh's fault, or you can say Javi Gracia or Sam Allardyce. I just think there wasn't enough talent in this squad, and I think they invested money in the wrong places. You think about a player like Jorginho Rudder, who's who's there, you know, top signing and and supposed to really transform leads in an attacking sense, and that just didn't work out. He, no matter which manager it was, whether it's Marsh or or Gracia or Allardyce. Seemed like none of them really trusted him to 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 start and to play up top, and when that's where you've invest, invested your money into a player where the three different managers don't think he's good enough in an attacking sense, that's problematic. Not to mention Leeds had all kinds of defensive troubles last year and didn't really seem like they took the necessary steps to fix that coming into this season, and things just got worse and worse. And you try to, you know, call back to the early two thousands and get Big Sam to to try and save your team from relegation, but it seems like his magic has kind of run out too. But from the American perspective, I think the only player who's had the uh, uh, you can say he had a good season for Leeds was Tyler Adams. He's still adored by their fans. He's, I mean, it's hard to not adore the guy's work rate. He works so hard off the ball and on the ball, just making that midfield tick. And when he went down injury with an, with the injury, that seems like it really changed the fortunes of Leeds. Brendan Aronson. Just that one goal against Chelsea and and three assists to go along with it. But it just seemed like you know, I think people people make a bigger deal out of the physicality of the Premier League than it actually is. But I thought it looked like at times that Brendan Aronson wasn't physical enough for this league, which, you know, it's a shame, but it's not necessarily a problem. There's there's other top leagues in Europe that Brendan Aronson can go to and be successful. I, I was thinking he was gonna be one of the players that would maybe stick around and play in the championship, but we we got news recently that he has that relegation release clause, release clause, like you mentioned, James, and he could be trying to play elsewhere. And then West Weston McKenney is a guy who these Leeds fans seem to hate. They seem to not like Weston McKenney at all. Um, you know, from watching their games, he hasn't been great, but neither has anybody else in the Leeds United squad over the last three months. And I think to single out Weston McKenney is unfair. He still started and it, in almost every game under under Gracia, under Sam Allardyce. So that says something about what those coaches think of him. And, you know, he definitely was not at the top of his game at Leeds United. That's I don't think anybody's arguing against that. But I think for the Leeds fans to single him out specifically, I don't think is necessarily fair when you look up and down that squad and 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 players who just have not performed. I mean, I, I don't want to name names, but I'll name names. Luke Ayling is not a Premier League. Player. He's not a Premier League captain. Patrick Bamford is not a Premier League Patrick quality Bamford. striker. 
we I, like you can go on and on and on. This this lead squad at the end of the day just not it's not good enough. And I think to to single out Weston is a little bit unfair. But you know it's it's a shame for this Leeds team and the championship can be such a, a tough league. You know you say oh, they'll bounce right back, but it's not as simple as that when it comes to the championship. It's a dogfight, and if you don't you know, player cards right in this offseason with the players you try to bring back and the players you sell and say they sell Adams and Aronson, that money has to be reinvested smartly or else it's going to be a situation for Leeds where they're stuck in the championship for a long time again. And you look at the teams that making their way to the Premier League this year, uh, Ethan Horvath and Luton Town, there's a new guard of teams joining the Premier League. Norwich did not bounce back. They were, they struggled. This yeah, is, this is Leicester gone. It's Southampton yeah. have been in the Prem for a while. It seems like times are changing. You can't do business as usual now. And what Leeds failed to do in last the last offseason coming into this one is they failed to address the problems on the pitch. And the same sort of things kept happening, mainly in defense. And when they lost some good players up front, whether to injury or to the transfer market, what they had leaving around was not good enough to score goals. And they just did not do good enough business. It's a club that you have to say could have been run a lot better from the top down. The talent on the field was there at times, but the ideas and the system really wasn't. And it wasn't there for each of the three coaches that were there. So the problem definitely runs deeper than the whole American experiment. So before you go pointing fingers on the red, white, and blue of the USA, just look deeper. Maybe into look inward. Court. Yes, maybe, maybe look, look inward. inward, guys. And maybe don't go after my man, Weston McKinney, like that, okay? Because he gave everything you wanted for the club and – he stayed an hour after the match to talk to supporters. So that's the kind of character that he is. Unfortunately, it didn't go their way. It hurt to see all those guys uh, have to go through that. And for Tyler Adams to be sidelined for as long as he was, you have, hate to say it, but this club did not stand a chance in the Premier League without that man. And I'm not trying to say he's a world beater, but he is a terrific midfielder that made that team a lot better when he was there. And a team that he used to make a lot better than he was there was the New York Red Bulls team that was also coached by Jesse Marsh when they were a lot better. And speaking of times that were a lot better, two weeks ago, Nick, when we were there last Saturday, things were pretty fun. Things were pretty fun. And then we were there on Wednesday. Things were less fun because they lost in the Open Cup. We, of course, are talking about the New York Red Bulls, ladies and gentlemen of Major League Soccer. They just lost on Saturday to the Seattle Sounders. It's time for some domestic soccer talk on FUBFC. I know it's rare, but we've been gone since May 4th. And if it's me and Nick on the podcast, I mean, what else are we going to talk about? So let's let's just jump right into it. This Saturday against the Seattle Sounders on the road, their first taste of defeat in MLS play under Troy Lesane, and they deserved to go down, I thought. In Wednesday's game against FC Cincy at home in front of no one in Red Bull Arena, they played pretty well. We both agreed that they looked like the better team against a FC Cincinnati team who are the Supporter Shield leaders, which is crazy to say after three straight wooden spoons to open up their MLS accounts. They are the top dog of Major League Soccer as it stands. And the Red Bulls took them all the way to 90 minutes and then 120 and then penalties, thanks to Dante Van Zier. So let's, can we, let's talk about Dante to start. The situation surrounding him seems positive with members from the club. The players seem to have accepted his, his, his role coming back into the team. The club seems to acknowledging his seems to be acknowledging his progress. We've heard directly from Red Bulls communications that he's been progressing, but he still won't be allowed to talk to the media because of their um, 
deal with this outside firm. What do you make of the whole situation? And now that he's been back to a fixture in the starting 11, he's fully fledged. This is this. We've put it behind us, said the New York Red Bulls. So, so where yeah. are we now? From a from a fully on the field perspective, you know, the Red Bulls need him. I mean, they, he's their, he's a designated player. They've invested a lot of money into the guy and they need him to produce. And I think all the things off the field have been handled just about as well as they they could have been handled. He took time away from the team. He's it sounds like he's making all the strides to 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 get better and and sort of make sure that, that kind of behavior on the pitch doesn't happen again. And I think the Red Bulls as a club have handled it well. You know, I think by after after the 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 immediate aftermath with you know Gerhard Struber not necessarily saying the right things in that in that press conference, but he's gone now, and it seems like the the vibes have changed a little bit at the club. But and it it, it seems like Van Zier's been welcomed back into the dressing room, welcomed back into training, and to be a part of the team. And you know, from an on the field perspective, that's that's great because the Red Bulls need their their designated player striker to to play like one and to be you know that guy scoring goals and creating chances for this team. We saw against Cincinnati, you know that that volley to to equalize right at the death death and send the game to extra time. He did miss his penalty in that shootout, but you know when it goes to pens, it's pretty much a lottery. So for Dante right now, if you look, you know at his raw. MLS stats. I think it's eight matches right now and just one goal in, in MLS play. But, you know, a lot of those appearances have been off the bench and you have to take into account just how uneven of a, a season it's been for him because he, he came in, you know, from Belgium and he wasn't playing right away. And then he slowly was coming off the bench for, you know, lo- longer and longer cameos until he was starting. And then the incident happens in the match against the earthquakes and all of that sort of, you know, the strategy of slowly ramping him up to get to a, a spot where you feel comfortable with him starting, it all kind of goes out the window when he's suspended for six games. You have to start from scratch again. And, you know, it's we're almost in June. And you're still thinking you haven't seen the the best of Dante Van Zier yet. But from an on-the-field perspective, the Red Bulls need him to be that guy up front because as a team, we've we've talked, you know, so many times about it in our reports, James, that struggles to create chances, not really create chances, but struggles to score goals and put them in, put the ball in the back of the net when they need to. And, and that's gone back to last season. Just, and then Van Zier is supposed to be that guy that is the one to finally write the ship in terms of goal scoring. And with everything that's gone on, that hasn't quite happened yet, but I think there's, he's shown flashes that, that he can be that guy for the Red Bulls going forward. And if there if there's one commonality in terms of his play is that when he has scored, it's been in the 90th minute in big moments, that goal against Columbus and Cincinnati. And I guess you could say he scores against teams from Ohio. So there's something in that. Um, but with the whole situation, uh, for clarity purposes, the incident we were referring to is his use of a racial slur on the April 8th match against the San Jose Earthquakes at Red Bull Arena. Um, he was suspended for six games after that. He was not subbed off right at that moment. Gerhard Struber was the manager. Two weeks later, he was no longer the manager, and now it's been Troy Lassane. And I think tactically what has changed for the Red Bulls is there has been a bit more clarity of creativity and ideas in the final third, where you could say under Struber, they weren't even creating good chances. At least now they are. And there's one one or two moments that sticks out to me um, from the Seattle game this weekend and from the Cincy game, because the Red Bulls had 35 shots in that game over 120 minutes. And that reminds me of 2018 when they had 27 shots against Chivas in 
in the Champions League. And if I'm reminded of the 2018 New York Red Bulls, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. But the problem is now the finishing. And I don't mean to pick on specific players, but Elias Manuel, clear on goal, sprung in by a fantastic ball from Christian Caceres and just can't find the back of the net. He can't seem to buy a goal. Tom Barlow is, is his own situation with being forced to play on the wing and his role being mushed up now. We don't exactly know. And, you know, for as good as Troy Lassane has been, I think where there are some questions to be asked about how he's utilizing players. We've noticed Drew Yearwood's emergence as an attacking midfielder mm. now. And that is a role that, while we know he's got quality in the on the dribble and his feet are excellent, that's just not a position we've been used to seeing him play. And a lot of this comes down to availability for players. And this has been a problem for the Red Bulls all year, and it continues to be just so many injuries. But we saw Lukinas come back. Lewis Morgan was on the bench. Serge Gomez in training. Uh, who else? Kyle Duncan is three weeks. Frankie Amaya is back in training. But the problem is, as these guys are starting to come off, Omir Fernandez and Andreas have just jumped on the injured list. Uh, Reyes was kept out of Saturday and Wednesday for precautionary reasons. And he, he is a crucial, crucial player for this Red Bulls team. Not only because is he one of the best defenders aerial and tackles-wise in the league this year, but he's also their joint leading scorer in Major League Soccer as well, which is Hard to think about that. That's a center back. But you look at this Red Bulls goal scoring record. It's not great. Reyes's two goals are as much as Corey Burke's two goals. So they could use some help up front. And Dante Van Zier, for what went on, the fans cheered very loudly as he entered the pitch off the bench in that game against Cincy. Or sorry, no, on, he started against Cincy in the previous game um, against New York City. And, you know, it's uh, been quite a tumultuous experience, but you have to imagine that he's going to bring the spark that they need to score goals, whether or not he's gelling perfectly with his teammates, which it seems like he may be. Now, if take a look at the standings, though. It, things are not as flattering, maybe, as we've just said since they've turned the corner. They really dug themselves a rut, but 15 matches in, almost halfway through, 13th out of 15 in the Eastern Conference standings, but two points out of a playoff spot. Lord, do I dislike this playoff format. And we're, we're getting the, the wrong end of the stick here, but we, the Red Bulls still have, within a shout, within two weeks, they could be firmly in the playoff position, which seems remarkable to stay with, say with how they started this year. Looking across the river into the Bronx, though, New York City FC are a disaster as of late dropping many matches in a row, including their first loss at home in a number of years, their second loss ever at City Field, which is technically in Queens, but it's their other venue. Um, they fell to the Philadelphia Union. They were up 1-0 going into halftime and then conceded two right at the death of that first half extra time. 3-1, they fell. Gino Alva has a great report on that on WFV Sports' YouTube page. But now Nick Cushing's on the hot seat. We heard from him at the, um, at the Derby last weekend and Things were cagey. He made it seem like, uh, you know, the results are going to fall our way. Like that was sort of the Red Bulls vibe, right? Like the expected goals were good. They're creating decent chances. They're getting in and around the goal and the chances are going to come. Nick Cushing said, we are great at building out of the back. We are very good at getting the ball from our end to the other end. So naturally things are going to fall in the pl into place once we get those ideas up front. But things in New York soccer right now, both teams are on 16 points after 14 games for City and 15 games for the Red Bulls. Yikes. It is pretty bad. 
in the tri-state area. Nick, your thoughts on New York City FC, the Red Bulls just in general. Who do, if, if Are either of these teams playoff bound, can we say? And would we be shocked if they didn't make the playoffs? The Red Bulls have the longest active playoff streak in North American sports with 13 years. 14 would break the MLS record. Is this a year where neither team from the New York area should be expected to be in the playoffs? Well, the good thing about Major League Soccer, and if you're a supporter of a team that's below that playoff line, is that it's really not that hard to get it's over not. it on the other side. And, you know, you can talk about how, you know, I think ridiculous is the right word, how ridiculous this MLS playoff format is sometimes. Uh, just in the fact that over half of the conference uh, makes the playoffs and a team can have so much dysfunction like the Red Bulls, like New York City have had. And like you said, James, they're two good weeks away from being on the right side of that playoff picture. When you get in the playoffs, who knows what can happen? So I don't think it's fair to, to, to count either one of those teams out just by the nature of the competition. But I think for NYCFC, Nick Cushing and listening to, to some of the things he said, I feel like there might be some par- parallels there to Gerhard Schruber in, in, the, in the sense that, you know, we're doing all the right things, but for some reason, who knows? It's not it's not working out in terms of in terms of the attacking play and in terms of the finishing. And we heard that message with Struber saying it's gonna come, you know, the, the goals are gonna come. If we keep playing this way, they're gonna come. And they never did. Um, and Gerhard Struber is now no longer the coach of the New York Red Bulls. So you might be doing all the right things, but you know, scoring goals is a very important part of the game. And it's 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 been the basis of what we've talked about for the Red Bulls and their problems for the last year, just putting the ball in the back of the net. And, you know, you can play out of the back as, as, as good as you want. You can dominate possession. You can do all these things and, and, and get the ball into good good areas of the pitch. But if you can't put it in the back of the net, uh, that's a big problem. And both the Red Bulls and New York City have had those issues this year. The Red Bulls more so, if you look at those standings, the Red Bulls have 10 goals scored in 15 games, which is pretty atrocious. But I feel like the the ideas for the Red Bulls at least – are flowing back in the right direction. And like you said, in Seattle, it wasn't a great performance, but it's always, it's always been tough to go to Seattle and, and play your game and play your style of soccer and, and get a result. So now the Red Bulls go to Miami who are, you know, in the, in the basement of the Eastern conference. So that's a game. There's one point behind the Red Bulls though. There's one point behind the Red Bulls, the beauty of major league soccer. Yeah. But you think, and you know, Phil Neville has has been you know a little testy with the media recently too. Vibes aren't that great in Miami either. So you feel like if there's ever a time to go and get that road victory, you know, last season was the Road Bulls was the big narrative. The Red Bulls couldn't find a way to win at home, but you know now the the road wins are tough to come by, as they usually are in Major League Soccer. So that seems like a game the Red Bulls could really right the ship, but. You know, for both these teams at the halfway point, I think you could say it's gone just about as bad as it possibly could have for the Red Bulls and for NYCFC. But, you know, you still got a whole summer's worth of soccer to right the ship. And I think for the Red Bulls in particular, with the coaching change and, you know, Lewis Morgan making the bench, you know, he's a big part of what the Red Bulls are trying to do in an attacking sense and getting some of those players back. I think there's reason to be optimistic. But I, I would say a, some a, a, a cautioned form of optimism for New York soccer right now. And, you know, I think across major league soccer, we're looking at a lot of coaches on the hot seat in a ways that we would not have imagined before the season, some big names in coaching, big teams 
Bob Bradley, Toronto FC, on the hot seat with everything going on with Bernadeschi there. Inter-Miami, Phil Neville on the hot seat. LA Galaxy, Greg Vanny, Chris Klein on the hot seat. Everything with the LA Galaxy is going, going to going to dust over there on the opposite coast as LAFC moves in and are now more than just the noisy neighbors on the block. I think with Chicago and the Red Bulls being the only teams to have made those coaching changes so far, I think we are in for what could be a crazy summer transfer window for a lot of these teams. And New York City, they've got a Tati Castellano-shaped question mark at the number nine position. Um, And they've tried to throw square pegs into round holes there, and it's just not working out, whether it's Rodriguez as a false nine or Talis Magno, both terrific football players, but they're not going to be that 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 guy in that striker role that Tati was. And the New York Red Bulls have had this problem since Bradley Wright Phillips left in 2019. Well, really, they've had the problem since 2018. He was injured for most of 2019. So there's some similarities here. You know, you're, you might be more like your enemies than you think in the end. Um, but yeah, New York City did not play well in that second 45 against Philly. Philly have since turned the corner after that CCL slump that they every MLS team tends to go through. Um, but yeah, they're back and forth in the Eastern Conference. And the West, I mean, as you'd expect, towards the top, Seattle and LAFC, but St. Louis keep chugging along in a way that I've been impressed by. FC Dallas continue to, to be towards that, towards the top of there. So and Major League Soccer, I think, Hopefully you expect it to even out with some of the performances, especially for the New York teams. But we will see because we are in some uncharted territory there. And I have been very impressed at moments by this Red Bulls team, especially lately, especially with Lukinas coming back. I thought he was excellent against Seattle. But, you know, time will tell what they can do. Big matchup on Wednesday against Inter-Miami. We're running out of time here, Nick. But we got a few things we got to squeeze in really quickly. First, just want to say we will be talking U.S. Women's World Cup coming up because we are very pumped to talk about Australia and New Zealand. That World Cup is going to be amazing. I am very pumped to see the girls from Gotham ball out at the World Cup stage. But first, we're going to talk a little bit of U.S. men's. This is going to be a recurring segment. I don't know if we have a title for it yet. I guess name that U.S. men's player's career. We can club history. It doesn't, be, it doesn't have to be a U.S. men's player. It could just name the club history. So for the first segment, I'm going to do a household name in American soccer, a name that whose father I just brought up. I'm going to give you Michael Bradley. Can you name all seven clubs he's played for? I won't make you do it in Michael order, but Bradley. Okay, I think I'm going to move backwards. That could be okay. smart. That could be the so way to Toronto go. FC. Before that, Roma. And then there's some other mid-table Italian team that I'm going to – Chievo? That is correct. Okay. Chievo. Then um, Borussia Mönchengladbach? Yes, there is a – With the loan to Aston Villa. Yeah, I, you got it. You got it. All right, um, this could be this could be, this could could be be special right here. And then before that, is there another European team? There is. Oh, God. This is the first game, so I'll give you hints. Okay, I need a hint. The Eredivisie. I couldn't tell you. Aaron Van. Aaron Van. Yeah, so Ulianes uh, picked up the Michael Bradley torch there. So you've got five out of six. Can you name the first club that Michael Bradley played for? No, but I should be able to. I can't. You definitely should be able to. Is it the New York Red Bulls? Think before that. 
Oh, Metro Stars. It's the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars. So, yeah. And before that, I'm Yeah. 2004 05 at the Metro Stars. Michael Bradley. I think that was that was a good player to start with, right? Yes. I'm happy with Chievo. That was like, that's that, a, was, that, that was, was in the, the back hardest of my brain one. somewhere. Was I that just one I, season? Yeah. Um, 35 appearances. Yeah. The only, the only team he played less for was Aston Villa. How many times did he play for Aston Villa? Three appearances. In oh, my goodness. Career, according to Wikipedia. According to Wikipedia. So, yeah, that is, that is our first uh, Guess the Club history segment. Uh, Nick, you got to come up with one for me next time. I will. It'll be yeah, it'll be I mean, more niche than Michael Bradley. Okay, good. Well, we had to just a dip little our more toes. Niche. Yeah, we had to dip our toes into this one. Don't give me Breck Shea. I was originally going to give him Breck Shea, Breck Shea, and that's too hard. I think that's too hard. But uh, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm impressed. I did not think you were going to get Kievo. I did not think you were going to get Heron Van. So I I think that's a W. I think you did yeah. great. Yeah. What's that? Five out of seven. Five out of seven. That's that's quality for Michael Bradley's. And career, I really should have gotten. I, I really should have gotten Metro Stars. Heron Van, you did. Out, you got but... the Red Bulls. You said yeah. the Red Bulls. That counts. You got five and a half out of seven. I'd give that. Yeah. All right. So that's I a solid a success. All right. Well, stay tuned for more uh, mini games like that. We're going to have some fun ideas on FUBFC this summer because there's no European soccer after June 10th this year. The UCL final pushback because of the World Cup. So we'll be talking about that stuff for another two weeks. Then we're going to transition into more domestic stuff MLS, Women's World Cup, Gold Cup later it. this summer. Gold Cup. You got it. Oh, man, we, we, got a, we got a big summer coming up on FUBFC. All right, well, that's going to do it for us today. For Nick Guzman and James Burley, this has been FUBFC. FUBFC is a production of WFUB Sports. We will see you guys next time.